What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Malene Dastrup. Your people are your most valuable asset. It's not your idea. It's not your business model. It's not your investors. It's your people. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all, so I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Malene, thanks for making time. Yeah, thanks just for inviting me to come along. So uh, just quickly, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Google and what effect.org is also? Sure. Um, so I work at Google on G Suite, which is like Gmail, Drive, Docs, all of the editors. And I work on the account management team. So we manage all existing customers for North, South, Americas. And then effect.org is an organization I co-founded in college as kind of a side project. And we are trying, we are building a school of a chain of private schools across Northern India. And these are schools that go into urban slum areas. We do a lot of other stuff that isn't necessarily schools in India, but it's all related to education. So we work on documentaries. We just finished a documentary on human trafficking. We did a documentary on the Nepal earthquake. And then we also do hackathons to educate other people coming from the West on issues that we think are really important. And we've done hackathons around human trafficking. We've done hackathons around the refugee crisis, disasters, and also education. Yeah, so awesome. I mean, everybody who's a listener of the show knows we talk about human trafficking, child trafficking on every episode. And um, I'm super interested today to talk about the way that you guys are attacking the issue and this idea that, you know, kids in school are so much less of a likely mark for these guys to traffic. Yeah, exactly. The statistics have shown that the best way to actually prevent trafficking is to educate children and not educate them necessarily about trafficking, but just give them an education so their parents can see that what they're doing is adding value and can potentially add income to their family, 
most families aren't actually trafficking their children knowing that they're they're going to be trafficked. It's normally because they need income and someone tells them, hey, if you send your daughter to this city, we'll have her work in a restaurant. And that's not obviously what happens all the time. Yeah. So um, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But let's start on the Google side. Um, You know, just before we started the episode, I was talking about our consulting company, Myland Advisors, and how you know, we work so many, so much with senior leaders that they've got this gap between the results they wish they were getting and the results they're actually getting. And, you know, our, our trainers spend a lot of time talking about kind of the neuroplasticity, the brain science of how do you get good at relating to humans? And, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about leading teams at Google. And, um, you know, it's such a well-known organization, just the things that you feel like are done well there. This is something that Google puts a lot of thought and energy and resources into, it's obviously something that's important to Google. And as I think about it, the most impactful way that I that you can really understand others and get that diverse perspective that we're all looking for is to provide forums for people to voice up their perspective. For example, this morning I attended an hour and a half session with David Drummond, who is one of our senior, senior leaders at Google, and several other uh, leaders at Google and also some outside folks talking about race and technology. So is technology innately biased, basically? Is it racist? And can technology be racist? And it was an amazing panel uh, where people were able to ask questions and talk very openly about what it means to be racist and ask questions like, is racism real or is it something that's just perceived? And by providing this forum where so many employees are encouraged to attend, people are able to express some of their deep-seated feelings and emotions that are tied to this. Racism is a very obviously charged word and charged theme right now, but giving people the outlet to be able to speak openly and express their opinions and listen to others and hear, that builds empathy, right? Um, I'm I'm a white female who is heterosexual. I don't... College educated. Don't I? Yeah, I'm educated. There's so much that I don't actually understand about a lot of the challenges other minorities are facing right now. But me being able to attend forums like that helps me develop the empathy that's needed to make the right decisions and, and to be more inclusive. Interesting. Um, what, what about at a more granular level on with you? Um, have you had any mentors that you feel like have done that well or people you look up to in your life? Definitely. That's one of the things I actually admire most about being at Google. And I actually found this when I was a student at the Huntsman School of Business as well at Utah State. People, The people that I found the most impactful in my life have been people who I didn't feel there was a boundary between what they had accomplished and how great and whatever title they had and me, who is still a lowly student or a lowly um, individual contributor at Google when I was in that role, But being able to just go into a situation in a room with people who maybe have 20 or 30 years more experience than I do and be able to speak as an equal and know that my contributions are going to be as valued as other contributions, that's made a, a safe environment to be innovative and to fail and to test new things and to fail and to test new things and then be successful and I think that's one of the, that's a secret sauce of Google. And that was something that I found so valuable at Utah State as well, where I had uh, faculty members and professors who kind of took me under their wing. I was a first generation college student, so I didn't, I didn't know a lot about college and how to go into a professional career. And I had a few professors, actually, I think you interviewed one of them. I listened Chris? to this podcast. 
Chris Vossen. Yeah. Yeah, I like that guy. He was one of the professors who took me under his wing when I was studying economics and invited me over to Sunday dinners and let me speak as an equal. And I remember there was one, I remember one conversation so clearly where I wasn't uh, confident that free market principles were the right uh, solution to America's problems. And Chris did not agree with me, but he listened to my opinions. And then he continued to educate me on why uh, he felt free market principles were the best solution. And eventually I came around. But uh, just having people like him that were able to let me express my feelings. And I know that it wasn't just me. They did that. They do that with everyone around them. And it's that mutual respect that that creates those forums and creates the environments where people can can really share and, and reach their true potential, I think. You know, I'm glad you brought up Chris. It's been interesting as I've spent time with him over the last year. Um, you know, they had me up there to come speak at their conference for lean practitioners, like continuous improvement, operational excellence stuff, and then their accounting conference. And, and I just have been up there quite a bit with his team at Partners in Business, that extra group he runs, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting with Chris because he, um, he is so uh, passionately – concerned with the student experience instead of everybody knowing he's a fancy PhD, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and, um, like he, uh, he's like, he's so open-minded that I think it almost like invites people to overstep in advice giving, <laughs> you know, like they're like it, it, cause he's like, it's so not the Chris show. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's very, uh, like he's so interested in like sponging up some new possibility um, that it's, I don't know. I just, when I'm around him, it's like, uh, you know how some people, they, they want to hear your ideas because they know socially they're supposed to want to hear your ideas. Like yeah. Chris actually wants to know. He really wants to hear what you're talking about. And th- that is something, that's a trait that I caught on to so quickly with him. And everyone does because you've conversation comes so naturally when it's in such a welcome envi- welcoming environment. That's an attribute that I've tried to cultivate as well. I'm definitely not even close to where Chris is, but I, I think that's an attribute that all humans, we should all try and cultivate that and just show genuine interest in people. Yeah. So I'm super interested in what you just said about the role of relationships and safety and relationship as an incentive for innovation. You know, it's such a buzzword these days. It's obviously, you know, it's the name of this show, Innovation and Leadership. Um, it's almost like there's an insatiable appetite for you know, corporate executives to want the firm to be more innovative or entrepreneurs to want to be more innovative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's such a focus on, well, are you doing agile or are you doing lean or like these very like logistical, transactional, structural things about uh, innovation. And I really don't hear nearly so much about that like less definable, gushy, like, I don't know the exact precise words to talk about it, but basically I felt safe enough to fail here. <laughs> Um, can you talk about, you know, it obviously matters to you. Why, why do you think that matters so much? We're all humans going through this human experience together. We all have needs. We all have desires. We all have goals. We all have dreams. And I think sometimes we can treat each other really poorly. We can do things in the work environment that, that aren't kind and they're not considerate. And that makes people upset and that makes them feel disengaged. And then they start doing poor work and they start slacking off in their jobs and then they leave. And you had just invested all this time and resources and training and getting people up to speed and getting them to understand how your business works. And then you have to do that all over again. It's such a waste of time. Like it's really an economic waste. And so much of it, I think, goes back to really cultivating your people and making them feel valued because people are valuable. It's not this isn't like 
you're making a rock feel valued. You're making like people are valuable. They can contribute so much to, to you and to what your goals are. If you give them the space to be able to develop their own self and reach their own potential and accomplish the things that they want to accomplish and just help them feel respected. It's such a fundamental thing that is so easy for us to overlook. And I think leaders who can really hone in on that and learn that your people are your most valuable asset. It's not your idea. It's not your business model. It's not your investors. It's your people. That That's what's going to make or break your, your ideas and your, and your, your company in reality. So another thing you just said there, you talked about this idea of investing in people, like training them to the point that they can do this. You know, um, why do you think that we pay so much lip service to helping teams gain these new skills, but really like so many senior managers, at least across our country here, uh, they just send them off to that class that HR is running. And like the person at the top is not setting the example. They're not going first. They're not paying the price to learn the class, to teach it to themselves, teach it themselves to their own people. Like, um, what do you think it is about humans or about the way we work these days that we get a lot of lip service to that, but not necessarily a lot of example setting? That's an interesting question. I don't have a ton of experience working with those type of leaders. But one thing I have learned is that the higher up you go in an organization, the higher you climb the ladder, the more disconnected you come from the bottom rung, obviously, which is going to be the largest majority of your employees. And as you make that disconnect and you get more involved in the strategy and the and less involved in the execution, because all of your subordinates are now executing your ideas, there's just a disconnect. And you're focused on the larger business needs, the larger growth, and you're not really seeing what's happening on the grounds anymore. The best leaders that I've seen have been the ones that have been able to climb down from the ladder and actually tr- lead the sessions. Uh, one thing that Google does that I find really amazing is there are there's a whole website where you can go on and take courses from anything from Eng for non-Eng, so learning how to program, all the way to mindfulness and meditation. And most of these courses are actually taught by fellow Googlers. So people who are passionate in a topic, they will sign up to teach a course. And then when a course is available, anyone can register to attend that course. I've taken all sorts of courses from, I mean, all, all across the board, different topics. I take try to take one a month. And some of these courses are taught by really senior people. They're not just people who are new to their career and they want to get some time in front of other people. Some of these people are very established and them having that perspective again on the ground with the other employees and it helps them bring them back down to earth and realize, okay, these are the true needs of my, of my business. These are the true needs of my people. Interesting. Um, This idea of um, setting the example and relating to people. um, Tell us a bit more about what you're doing day to day right now in the, the region you're covering. Uh, day to day, that's a really good question. It's constantly changing. Uh, so when I started, I was one of three account managers that managed all of our accounts, which is a lot of accounts um, for all the Americas, North and South. So at that point, um, I was just running a lot of experiments to figure out what worked and really how could we engage with our customers. That was it's been three years since then, and I was managing the team for a while. And now I'm just leading strategy for the team. So my day-to-day is basically designing experiments and figuring out what is the best way that we can talk to our customers? What is the best way that we can work with our partners? Can we get them to sell more than our own employees sell? Um, how do we scale that? So th- those are a lot of the questions I'm asking right now um, in terms of like my actual core, core role. 
I also do a lot of side projects at Google. So um, I've been working with Google.org for the past year, running their incubator for their Bay Area Impact Challenge grantees. So that's a grant that Google.org gives to 25 organizations that are local in California who are doing really amazing things. And so we do an incubator where uh, we bring in different lectures to come and speak around different topics. What we found is a lot of nonprofits don't have the resources to train their employees, kind of what we were talking about before. When you have a small team, how do you effectively train your employees to do things that maybe you don't know how to do? How do you train them on the newest and greatest legal practices? How do you train them on unconscious bias when you when you can't afford to do that? So that's what we were doing in this incubator is offering monthly courses where their employees could come in and, and learn more and grow themselves personally. Interesting. So um, and when you say the Americas is like North and South Central America, like. Yeah, Canada, okay. uh, United States and all South America and Central America. By the way, do you speak Spanish? I do. OK, so um, as you said, I think we can all guess that is quite a lot of accounts. Um, And uh, by the way, we are so in love with your product. All the time people try to get me to use Asana or some, you know, like there's always some new project program coming out. People are always trying to get us to switch to this stuff. We like literally run our entire consulting firm off G Suite. Like we send our homework to our clients off Google Forms. We like... Everything that we ever create is Google Docs shared because we, we have people in different uh, cities, right? And like our daily check-in every morning, like outside of our CRM, like our daily check-in is just every one of our clients on a Google spreadsheet with any to-dos and uh, like deadlines. So we can just at a glance, we can make sure nobody's slipping through the cracks. So we're like such like diehard fans of G Suite, by the way. Maybe I need to be interviewing you. Yeah, Maybe right? we can have you do a commercial for us. Oh, I could because like literally over the last decade, back when I was running the investment fund, all these things, it's like, I don't know, about every four months, somebody's trying to talk me into, ooh, you've got to use this program. And we just, we always come back to G Suite. So we like that you guys keep improving it. But um, total awesome. total tangent. But uh, so thinking about all these folks that, that you're impacting or the people you have to relate to or the people who are, are working on the team, when you think about both you know, their training or just relating to them and inviting the highest level of work and cooperation from them, what are some principles that you found effective? Mm, listening, I'd say, is the first one. That's a big change, actually, we made with our customers. Uh, initially, we were just calling them and trying to sell them products. And we realized that worked for the low-hanging fruit. But once we got through the low-hanging fruit, it became difficult to sell. And so then we started changing things and we ran some experiments where we actually did more like consultations. And we positioned ourselves not necessarily as salespeople, but as consultants. And we would ask a lot of questions about their business and try and get a very solid understanding of their business and their environment and which other technology they're using. And then once we were able to really effectively listen and they felt heard, then we were able to come in as the experts and offer suggestions. And that became a much more successful selling model. And we were able to get into a lot of accounts that we weren't previously able to to get into. So that would be the first one. And I, and I think for the, the people that I've managed as I've been a manager, same thing when they come to me with problems or when they when I first stepped in as a manager role, I found that to be the most important tool that I had in my tool belt was just to be able to listen to them and make them feel heard. And then they realized, OK, this is an empathetic leader. I feel safe. I can I can do what I need to know. 
Um, the second one would be to add value. And I think often we don't put enough thought into, are we adding value into a situation? Are we adding value into someone's life? Um, and that could be, that very directly relates to sales. Salespeople often just have their own mind of what they want to sell and their whole agenda as to how they're going to sell that. And the customer could be completely disengaged because it doesn't add value to them. That's just business at large. But figuring out where you can add value is, is incredibly important. And it goes for also when you're working in a company where determining where can I add the most value into my team? Where can I add the most value into my organization? Where can I add the most value to my manager? That has helped me accelerate my career so much faster with that, having that mindset. You know, it's so interesting you brought up that word agenda. We um, at Milan Advisors, we teach sales training sometimes. Like we've got one coming up with this medical device company. And um, I, I think about like, so um, one of our trainers was a FBA hostage negotiator for 20 something years. And wow. his, his colleague uh, back in those days, Chris Voss just came up with a book called Never Split the Difference that we're real big fans of. And he talks about this idea of tactical empathy, um, even when you're negotiating with a terrorist, like an actual terrorist, right? And um, it, it's interesting, this idea of agenda, like you think about in sales, um, there's such a culture of my commission check, my goals, what my manager is breathing down my de- neck about, right? And there's mm-hmm. so much anxiety from, from organizations that are maybe not as healthy as Google of, we really got a seller, we don't have jobs, you know, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when you think about this idea of listening, and, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, it kind of sounds like, listening without such an agenda, like kind of like setting our agenda aside when we listen. Um, if that is what you're saying, why? Do, I know it's effective, but I'm interested in your thoughts on why it's so effective. Well, I think it's effective because you can't, you can't determine your value unless you've, you really understand the situation around you. And you can't really understand the situation around you. You can't really learn if in your mind you already have the answers. <laughs> and you already think you know the answers. Mm. I think this is such an important conversation, especially right now when we talk about, and sorry, I'm going to get sidetracked a little bit again, but especially right now when we're talking about so many of the issues that are happening socially and politically, right? We obviously have a very divided country at this time. And it's so difficult for us to understand each other and to understand the other side. No matter what side you fall on, it's it's clearly, you can see it in the news, it's really difficult to understand the other side. And that's because we're going into these conversations with our minds made up as to how we think the truth is. And the truth is, our truth may not be the only truth. There's so many perspectives and so many angles and so many experiences. And everyone has lived a unique life to them. And they have these unique experiences that have formed them into the person they are and and has helped them perceive things the way that they perceive them. And if you can't put your own ideals aside and just listen, then you're really going to have a hard time getting anywhere in terms of getting what you need and what, and what you want. And I think it's going to be really difficult to build relationships. And those could be personal relationships just as much as they can be business relationships. Yeah. You know, being on the other end of that same thing, um, what are your thoughts? Like, why, why do you think we enjoy somebody listening to us so much? Even if we think they probably actually know what we need. I just want to get the rest of my story out. Like, you know, we hate when doctors interrupt us before we've told them all the things that are wrong with us, right? Like, mm-hmm. what, is it, what is it that you think we enjoy so much about being listened to, like, so genuinely without the agenda? Mm-hmm. 
I think you feel respected. You feel like you matter, like you're valued when you're listened to. I think that's a very basic, those are basic human needs. Um, the need to feel liked and appreciated. Those are, those are all things that I think every human wants. And unfortunately, I don't think, I don't think most humans get that enough. I think we do live in a society where we talk over each other and we have our own agendas and we have our own opinions made up. And so when someone really does listen to it, it almost feels special and, and rare and something new. And especially now, I'm, I'm sure that's it, it feels great, even if you're being listened to all the time. But it feels especially good when when you don't feel like you're getting listened to very often. But I also think on the listener side, taking time to listen to someone and and actually listening, you can you can get so much out of that um, when you just enjoy what someone else has to say and you learn from that and you grow and you can expand and your, your mind expands. And even if you don't agree with it, that's fine. You don't have to agree with everything you hear, but just um, listening helps you just see a new perspective. I think that's important. Yeah. You know, specifically in sales, it seems like a real competitive advantage because so few salespeople are good at that. Yeah, that's really true. Actually, I have a funny story around that. So um, back in the day, I did door-to-door sales for seven years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I laugh at it too. It was, it was a lot no, of No, are you fun. kidding? I did, I did like... <laughs> You know, as like a young punk, I did multi-level marketing. It was super glamorous. Okay. All right. So, you know, we're right on, we're right there at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one thing I will say is um, door to door sales, you, you learn so much because you're walking up to a stranger's door and you have to somehow convince them to buy what you're selling. And um, it's not easy. But I remember learning. I remember my teacher, my uh, manager telling me, oh, they're going to have all these concerns and just ignore their concerns and just like keep talking about what you want and they'll forget that they had these concerns. And I remember thinking that was so, that just seemed so backwards to me to just um, bulldoze over what they had just said was a concern because, and, and I know that's a sales tactic that works and there were people on my team that had a lot of success with that. I had a hard time with that. And I found it's more. I was more successful if I could determine which of their concerns were legitimate concerns, um, and then acknowledge the ones that really were legitimate concerns, and try and acknowledge those early on before they even had to address it. It was a concern. Um, let them know that I was really on their side and I had their best interest in mind. And a lot of those concerns, like just talk about them up front, so they didn't even become a concern actually. And then other concerns, listen to them, and if they were valid, like talk through them with that person. And if you could really overcome those obstacles and those concerns, and you had a product that that really was better, then you could sell almost every person you spoke to. But but it did take listening and it did take talking. It did take talking through those things, and that wasn't necessarily the easiest way to sell, but. I closed 80% of the people that I talked to. Interesting. Found a lot of success in that. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I think this is a great place to end part one. Uh, please check back to our next episode. We're going to keep talking to Malene about changing the world with effect.org and what she's doing at Google. And uh, thanks for listening so far. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes. So we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes. And to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.375%, APR 4.65%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 2.13% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 30. 